Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. We have a few passages today. The first one comes from Genesis chapter 2. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Uh, Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Thus the heavens of the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Sorry, the the references are not correct. (laughs) Okay, so this is Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from, where, from there with a mighty hand. And Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon you, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. As I printed that from... It's probably not my fault. It's really, that's what I want to say. I know. All right, kiddos, uh, Elevate. If you would like to head out for Elevate, you can do that. Um, and the rest of us are going to talk about rest while the kids are gone. Uh, we may just take a nap. Um, and uh, while they're on their way out, uh, as, a, as a prayerful people, you can, this, uh, we can pray for our air conditioning. Um, I know that is, a, that is a, yeah, I mean, if anybody wants to go lay hands on it, uh, let me know and I'll join you. Um, Today we're going to talk about, we're, we're, we're really kind of beginning this sermon series through Leviticus 23 for the summer, and today we're going to talk about uh, Sabbath. And honestly, we could do an entire, like we could do weeks on Sabbath. There is, and you may think, why? Um, there is so much here. Not only is there so much here within Scripture, but there's so much here that we need. Uh, and so instead of, instead of taking weeks, we're going to try to accomplish it all in Uh, a day. But what you're going to see over the next several feasts is how much some of these principles of Shabbat, how much some of the the principles of Sabbath play into the rest of these feasts. Um, So we're going to, we're going to kind of pack it in today. And then we've got some stuff on the app available for you that that can be helpful in practical ways, uh, but also in in some theological ways as well. Um, So when I was in seminary, there was a, uh, (laughs) there was this dirty hole in the wall beautiful Mexican restaurant that was like in a strip mall, and it was gross. Um, They had $5 lunch fajitas, uh, which all is forgiven, right? 
Um, and so uh, I was the, uh, the associate, I was a youth intern uh, at our church, and so the youth minister and I would go there almost all the time, every day that we had staff meeting, we would go there for lunch. Uh, and this, it, it was kind of one of those beautifully gross places that you knew had good food. That's the only reason they were still around, right? Um, because it wasn't the ambiance. And so we would go there, and they always, they also, they kept the, speaking of AC, they kept the AC turned up a little bit. And so it was a little chilly, it was a little cold in this restaurant, and um, even in the, in the, like, the dead heat of the Texas summer, it would get a little chilly. And so we would go there, and um, when we would leave, I would be absolutely stuffed but I would also be like a little, you know how like when it's just a little cold and you kind of tense your body up and, and, then, uh, and then you walk out into the heat and you sit in the car that's been baking for a good hour or so and there's just that moment where it's like this is the way the world was meant to be. <laughs> right? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Has anybody had that feeling? where you're just like totally full and then this, like this warm blanket comes over you and you're like, this is it. Shalom. Um, now, that was quickly fleeting, of course, uh, because the Texas sun is not something you stay out in. I mean, it's the same sun we have. The Texas heat is not something you stay out in very long uh, and it would take you know, a good 10 or 15 minutes for the AC on the car to actually kick in. And those lunch fajitas started fighting back, and it just was, so it wouldn't last for long, but man, just that momentary taste of, like, contentment. Today, uh, it, we have these fleeting moments where we get to taste the way the world was supposed to be. Today, we're going to look at the first feast commanded by God in Leviticus 23. This is a regular weekly practice. Um, and it's commanded by God for so many reasons, but ultimately, there is part of this day that is not only a taste of what was supposed to be, but also a foretaste of what will one day be. And that was the Sabbath. Um, we don't practice the Sabbath in our day, mostly. Uh, and uh, I, I, we have had some moments where we've had good runs, but we haven't done it in a while. Uh, and I'm, I, so I'm guilty of this as, as well. Uh, Paul is going to give us some comfort on that. I'll, I'll get to that. Uh, and, um, but uh, what I want to preach, the motive that I want to hit you with this morning, morning, I don't want this at all to be shameful. Paul would even say, this is not something shameful for those who practice the Sabbath and those who don't. But what I do want to do is I want to give us a taste of what this was designed to be. I want to whet your appetite to desire this. And let me tell you something. You think, like, take a day off? No. That is so hard. It is not, this is not a passive rest it is an active trust. And this is not just about taking a day off. It is about Sabbath. And it takes effort to do. Um, so I want to kind of whet our appetite to, to paint for us just how beautiful of a gift this is. And so um, what I want to do this morning, I want to look at biblically the purpose and, and design of Sabbath. Uh, I want to look at the Lord of the Sabbath and then practicing, some very practical tips. So first, the purpose and design. Last week, I talked briefly about how God designed the world, and he gave it order and structure, and this is what the creation account really is about. Um, God designed the world to work in such a way. There were patterns. There were uh, ways that we were designed to be and designed to work. Um, there are sinful patterns that then enter into that, that we constantly go against the way that we were designed in relationship, in work and rest, in trust, and all of these things. Um, and after each day, in Genesis 1, we see that we have a God of order and structure. And after each day that God creates, when the work session is completed, when he has accomplished what he has set out to do for that day, you have this little liturgy at the end of each of these, 
uh, days. And it would say, there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning the second day. And it would go on and on and on in conclusion. And so um, following God's creation of the light and the darkness, following his creation of the heavens and the waters, the land and then the vegetation that grows up from the land, and then each of those being populated, the sun to guide the day, to govern the day, and the moon to rule the night, the birds of the air and the creatures of the sea, and then the animals on the land. And the apex of all creation, God creates this last animal and puts his own image, breathes life. And whatever that means, he breathes his image into his creation, whether that is our conscience, whether that is our ability to uh, whatever. It, God breathes his image into us. He makes us in his image. Um, and that's the apex of his image. And his work was complete. And so Genesis 2 starts off like this. It says, and this, is, this should be the correct, uh, the, this should be the correct, uh, yeah, reference. Um, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his works that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God completed his work, completed the building of his temple, the earth. He sits down on his throne to govern over his beautiful creation. And this day is blessed by God. It is a holy convocation. And do you notice something missing from the end of this passage? There is no, there was evening and there was morning the seventh day. The final act of God's creation for him to sit down and govern over, this is a taste of eternity. This was not a day to be completed. This was the way it was supposed to be. Now, that doesn't mean there's no more nights and days and seasons and all of that, but everything was working in its proper order with God on his proper throne. This is eternity. Relationships operating well. Animals, seas filled with sea creatures, birds of the air, the earth producing vegetation. There's a taste of eternity. Everything in proper stewardship, joyful obedience. And God sees this and it is very good. In its, in its very creation, Sabbath rest is a form of completeness. It's a taste of eternity. It's the way things should be. And this is, this is like baked in from the very beginning. This is part of creation. Now, of course, uh, you might be curious to know that Genesis 3 follows right after Genesis 2. And uh, it is the, the best and worst chapter in the Bible where man decides, uh, we, our perfect representatives decides, we'll, we're good on our own. We will take on the work on our own. We will work for our own validation instead of trusting God's. And uh, everything gets distorted, everything gets perverted, including work and rest and including that taste of eternity. And so we fast forward. Uh, God has delivered his people out of Egypt. In the Exodus, God delivers his people out of Egypt. And while they're still in the wilderness and, and just out of slavery and, and already um, complaining and, say, and remembering back when things were so great, uh, like every generation that in our day. Um, uh, have you noticed how often we say, like, we complain about kids these days and back in my day? And you know who was complaining about you back in that day? Old people. And then you, it's like an endless cycle. It was always better back when. Perhaps we ought to check those lenses. Um, anyway, uh, and so what God does in the wilderness, he gives them a command in Exodus 16. And he says, I want you to gather for six days, and on the sixth day, gather twice as much, and on the seventh day, you're going to rest. It is God's good gift of provision for their needs, but it's also an opportunity for the people of God to trust him. And he says, 
I need to know that you're going to believe me when I say I'm going to provide for you. Because here we are, I've already miraculously delivered you and you're complaining. Again, that was them. Thankfully, we're so much better now. Um, and then God offers to meet them all on the mountain, but some of them, so many of them are fearful. So Moses goes and meets, and God's, God covenants with his people. It's like a marriage ceremony. And he gives the law. The law is this agreed-upon commitment that each will make. God says, you will be my people, and I will be your God. And he doesn't just say, I'm showing up out of nowhere when he says, I will be your God. He introduces himself. I am the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You can trust me. He is more mighty than all the gods, even the strongest of the strongest nation on the earth, even the bright and morning star. And so he gives them the Ten Commandments. And the law is this invitation to a relationship. It's not just this list of rules. It's the design of the way world, the world should be. And in the midst of, of the law, the, the apex, the Ten Commandments, God says, remember this day of rest, the Sabbath, and keep it holy. It's a gift that God is giving to his people. And it's not only a gift that he is giving to his people, it's a gift that he is giving through his people. So Moses repeats the law. I'm going to read this uh, in Deuteronomy. This is literally the second law. It's the second time that Moses walks through the law um, with them. Uh, and he gives this command again. But he adds a piece here. He says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you will labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is with you uh, within your gates or your male servant or your female servant that, you, that, uh, that they may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. There's a design in the Sabbath. Not only is this a holy convocation, this is a gift from God. This is after a people who were worked to the bone, God delivers them and gives them a day of rest to remember this is what the mighty hand of the Lord has done for you. Practice trusting me and rest. Now, right after Moses goes through these commandments in Deuteronomy 5, he goes into Deuteronomy 6 and gives the Shema, which we'll actually hear just in a, a few minutes later, which is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. And remember the covenant that God has made with you. And here's why, Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. And when the Lord brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you didn't build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and you drink from cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. Are you getting the picture here? This is the provision of God and when you enter into this land of rest, remember, practice these things Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Shabbat, the literal Hebrew meaning of the word is to cease. And this, in every, uh, all of these commands in, uh, in Leviticus 23, all of these feasts, there involves a ceasing, a ceasing of labor and an active trust. Lest we forget When God delivers his people into the promised land, this is what Moses is doing on the threshold of the promised land, to be the land of their rest. This concept of ceasing and resting with eternal glimpses of what it was meant to be and what, what one day it will become. So, the, the, so what is the Sabbath? There's, there's so much here. There's so much involved in this. The Sabbath is a rest for our souls. Um, it is a day to cease from seeing all that is wrong in the world and enjoy what is good in the world. 
the provision that God has given. It's a day to cease seeing what, you th- what, we, th- what we need and what we labor for. We're given labor, but it's a day to stop looking at what I need to feed myself uh, and to be grateful. It's a day to stop working to earn and to, to, to be still and be grateful for what God has given. Um, another purpose behind the Sabbath, uh, it is a rhythm. It's a rhythm baked into creation. Six days of labor and one day of rest. Now, creation, all labor was Sabbath labor. When we go into eternity, uh, we are not going to be like sitting on clouds and, and watching down uh, on the affairs of men. The, uh, eternity, remember, is here. And we will continue, I think, to, it, it will be a, a recreation of uh, the garden, except for with cities. And we will continue to build um, and, and labor, but it will be Sabbath labor. It will be labor from rest, not work from the sweat of our brow. As a rhythm, Sabbath doesn't wait for us to be worn down and worn out and burnt out until we rest. Sabbath as a rhythm refreshes and renews us at a pace that our bodies and our minds and our souls were actually designed to operate within. Six days of labor, one day of rest. Sabbath as worship. To to Sabbath is not a day, don't confuse rest with entertainment. Don't confuse rest with escape. It is a time to actively trust and worship. This is not just to find ways to pass the time. So taking time to praise the God who gives you breath, who gave you talent, who provides for you sunshine, oxygen, beauty, and life. And there are probably many more things you could find if you stop and say, what all has God provided? The purpose of Sabbath is a time to renew our humanity. One of the hardest lessons that we have to learn in our day is that all of time and history has not existed to give us me. And I can't do all things. What's the old joke? I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Um, We have to learn We have to go back on Genesis 3 and learn over and over again. Though I might think I am, I am not God. I am not the one that holds the world together, either in my arrogance or in my despair. It's not all on me. We learn the beauty of our limitations and we have to stop and rest. Sabbath is a resistance It's a resistance of what the world will want us all the time to be pulled into. It fights against workaholism. It fights against personal accomplishment and achievement and consumerism for need or affirmation. Um, I I was listening to a sermon a couple weeks ago. Have you noticed, and and then I noticed how much this is true, Uh, have you noticed how many things are actually marketed to us as rest? Like the car, once you get the car, or the retirement commercials especially. How much is marketed to us? If you had this product, if you got this job, if you save this much, if you get this, this person helping you, if you drink this alcoholic beverage, rest. Have you noticed that? Like stop and think about that. How much... How much a consumer-driven economy markets to us rest and ruthlessly pursue it. Rest, the Sabbath is a resistance to that. Um, when God gives the law, when he gives the Torah, rest is built into it. Rest is not a product to be purchased. It is a God to trust. It is, a, it is actually a command to follow in the Torah. And he is our strength, our sword, our shield, our hope, our validation, our accomplishment, our comfort, all of those things. He is our rest. And when we cease to rest in him, we will be tempted to look for it everywhere else. 
Sabbath is designed for all of this and more. It's God's command. It is God's gift to his people. It's built in as a command so as not to be taken lightly, but it's also a gift to and through his people. And this is what's critical. When, when Israel becomes a powerhouse nation, the, what is baked into this is remember when you were slaves in Egypt and do not do this. He is working eternal rest, that day seven rest, through his people to be a gift to all the nations. It is to be a blessing. God's gift to his people is one of rest, but also anyone that they have influence over should experience this rest. Um, sadly, this is something I think seems necessary to continue to recall in our day. God's generosity to his people is meant to be shared. Like through his people. When the righteous prosper, the city should rejoice. We're not in competition with the world around us as if, as if God was in competition with the broken world around us. Um, we're not against the world around us as if we are the cosmic judge who can lord over and determine who's in and who's out. We are to be for the sake of the world around us. We are to be blessed by God to be a blessing that he, our good God, is ever lending generously and his people become a blessing. Sabbath is the distinction of Israel amongst the nations. It's the practice of Sabbath that gets them set apart from every other people. And, and this is consistently a very big deal for God's people to practice and remember the Sabbath day. It's, it's the mark of this God of Israel. And it was not the mark of any other gods. Every other god was labor so that you can prove how loyal you are to me. The God of Israel was rest and prove how much you actually trust me. Um, and then in Matthew 11, Jesus begins this long dialogue. And, and one of these days, I'm reading through this, I, I really would like to, maybe we'll just do a sermon series through Matthew 11 and 12 one of these days. Jesus begins this long dialogue with some of the rulers of the day. Um, and I want to point out this distinction really quickly. Pharisees, uh, we use Pharisee as a very derogatory term and is often used that way in the New Testament. But here's what you need to discern from. Pharisees are not bad because they are Pharisees. Pharisees who are self-righteous are bad. Okay? Um, Pharisee in our day would simply be like a, someone who takes the law and the Torah seriously. And I'd be hard-pressed for us to say, those are the bad people. We wouldn't look at the Christian world and say, the people that take the Bible seriously are the bad people. The people who are self-righteous. That's where they get at odds with Jesus. There are Pharisees who repent and trust Jesus and still take the law seriously. So, I want to make that distinction. Um, but the ones who are testing Jesus to get it wrong, they, they are the ones who are, uh, to try to prove him wrong, they're the ones that are self-righteous. They've studied the Messiah so much, and yet they miss him completely. Uh, but there are Pharisees who respond well to Jesus and are God-fearers. So in this situation here in, in Matthew 11, the way Matthew arranges this, Jesus is having a confrontation with some of the self-righteous religious leaders. And Matthew lays it out for this. Um, essentially, Jesus is looking at people who have been heavily burdened, uh, burdened by the law. Rabbinic teaching in this day often was uh, by categories of people, and you are sinners, but to become righteous, you have to become like me. You have to uphold the Sabbath. Well, what if you were poor, an outsider, and a marginalized? Um, and uh, this is one of the things, if, uh, are you familiar with uh, gleaning? Remember that concept from the Old Testament? It's in Leviticus uh, 25, I think, where they're commanded to leave the outside of their fields Leave them unpicked, and then if you're walking around out there and some grain spills out of your basket, leave it, and that will be for the people who need it. And they come, and they work, and they labor, and they get to gather the grain from your land, and you are a blessing to the world around us. But what if there was a religious rule that said you have to honor the Sabbath, and yet you were one of these poor, outsider, marginalized people, 
And for you, do you honor the Sabbath or do you eat? For this guy over here, it's easy. I've got my field and my workers have gathered twice as much and we're good. But what about for this person over here? Who face, who's faced with all kinds of difficulty. Can you see how the law just becomes an increasing burden? You want to see that in our day? Go to North County and look at how many times if you, have, if you are in poverty and you get a car and you get a job and then your taillight goes out on your car and all of a sudden you get a ticket for driving without a taillight and to, to go and go against the ticket or to do whatever to show up in court, you've got to skip work. And if you skip work, you can't pay to fix the taillight. And like how those things can easily combine. The burden of keeping the Sabbath additionally put on your back or else you would be considered unrighteous or a covenant lawbreaker. That was a tough situation. So the traditional teaching of the rabbi in that day was to appeal to the Torah for both the landowner and for the needy. And they would say, come to the Torah and it will provide the way of rest. But here, what Jesus does talking to those who are heavily burdened by the law, those who are not wealthy landowners, uh, but to keep these laws and any additional laws, they would have to, it would be almost overwhelming. And what Jesus says to them is not come to the Torah, all who labor and are heavy burdened, but he says, come to me. Jesus is presenting himself as the fulfillment of the law. And then he goes on in the next several verses that he is the high priest when he begins to gather, uh, take grains on the Sabbath. He begins to do this same thing. Um, and the labor that he does on the Sabbath is in fact good and he becomes Lord of the Sabbath. And eventually, to cut this all really, really short, that Jesus becomes our rest. He is our rest. Jesus is the taste and the presence of eternity the Lord of the Sabbath, who is our rest. So I want to make this point again and often. Jesus did not come to earth to tell us how to go to heaven when we die. Jesus came to earth as the presence of heaven, the taste of eternity, the kingdom come, the Lord of the Sabbath, and he invites us to follow him and in him find our rest, the promised land, the eternal, the, to be reconciled to the way things were meant to be. Uh, one of St. Augustine's most famous quotes from his confessions, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Rest is not the absence of conflict. Rest is the presence of Jesus. Um, so we're going to get real practical here as we close this out. And again, I, I hope like this kind of, I don't know, sparks something in you to go, okay, I want to learn more. Because there's, like we totally just shortcutted all that Jesus does to say I am Lord of the Sabbath. Um, I, and it's beautiful. And all the depth and meaning of the Sabbath throughout uh, the Hebrew Scriptures is amazing. Uh, we're going to have a um, uh, a YouTube video that we'll put up on the on the uh, on the app where you can watch uh, do an interview with my friend uh, who's a rabbi talking about all the things that they do on the Sabbath. Um, but we're going to get real practical here, uh, and then we're going to finish uh, with uh, the blessing of the Shabbat meal. Um, so we'll have a little bit of interactive uh, thing as we as we finish up here. Um, as the people of God. So let me just give you, like, Christ is our rest. Christ is our Sabbath. Uh, Paul will give some freedom to uh, Gentiles who don't practice this strict day of Sabbath. Uh, and he'll tell them, basically, it's okay uh, because, basically, Jesus is the substance. So don't say that you practice these things perfectly and somehow that makes you better then. Uh, Paul's going to give us some freedom here. So hear me on this. The literal... 24-hour day practice of Sabbath. Jesus claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath, and he still does it. 
uh, all the qualifications here. Many Jews in the New Testament move that actually from the Friday to Saturday, uh, the last day of the week. They began to practice it Saturday evening to Sunday evening as the first day of the week, the day of the resurrection, that Jesus became their rest. Um, and really, I, the, I think the strict commandment of holding this is removed. However, the practice, and I think Paul and I think Jesus would certainly tell us, the practice for this is wise. Because we are better when we are rested. We are better when we remember. When we practice the presence of Jesus, when we take time and these patterns to remember him. Um, we don't play the devil's games and win. Does that make sense? The, the, like our enemy wants us to get into his match, his shouting match. And we can walk into his shouting match and be like, Jesus is better. And guess what? We've, we've lowered ourselves to his game. Um, this practice of Sabbath wars against all the temptations of this world to pull us back in to look for our, our validation and our hope and meaning here. And our enemy is brilliant, and I'd say in this one he's done a pretty good job. Um, so uh, I want to give you, I want to finish here with very briefly with there's six practical, this guy named Tim Keller gives uh, six practical thoughts. Six practical thoughts, and I'm going to add a seventh practical thought because that's more, that's Shabbat. Um, uh, you can write these down, but I'll also link the, uh, the article on the app. The first one I want to give uh, as a practical way of, of doing Sabbath. Um, this is not mine originally, uh, but I'm adding it to his list, and that's this. Turn off technology. Turn off technology. Be unreachable for 24 hours. I'm sure there are settings on your phone that you can do that, right? I mean, the power button, but like there's other ways. Um, uh, or like the new phone booth. I heard somebody talk about the new phone booth, which is not something that you go into uh, to keep everybody else from hearing, but something you put your phone into to keep you from getting to it uh, and how helpful that could be. Um, Turn off technology. In our day, it, it, we're not often physically worn out, um, but we are emotionally and mentally and spiritually worn down. Um, and it's not even just social media. We are exposed to so much information. The information doubles in our world at a rate that is just, we're not built for. Uh, and we are exposed to so much information. Not only are we exposed to it, but there's so little that we can do about it. We can't help my favorite tweet of all time, anybody suffering from natural disaster or uh, disease, hang in there. We're liking posts as fast as we can. We really can't do anything. We're powerless to help 99% of the things. And then oftentimes we become so focused on what's everywhere else that we miss needs that are right next to us. The guy down the street broke his foot. Well, there's a fire in South Africa today, and I can't do anything about that. And Christ has his body there. He has his church there. We miss so much of what is right in our neighborhood. Turn off technology and be present in your own community with your people, and then worry about the rest of the world for six days, but be freed from the tyranny of the urgent. Here's Keller's thoughts. Um, uh, there's, there's six of these, and I'll, I'll be quick with them. Every seventh year, the Sabbath year, uh, not only was, were the people to take rest, but every seventh year to let the land rest. And that doesn't, it meant you didn't plant anything, but whatever the earth produced, you could eat. And so uh, Keller mentions to have some time in this 24-hour day that is built in for unplanned activity, especially if you are one that needs to have every part of the day mapped out Plan a part of that day to have it not mapped out. Let a, a level of spontaneity um, and learn how to be bored. Does anybody else have a problem being bored? 
Yeah. Learn how to be bored. Um, renew your soul by simply eating what grows and not everything that you have to plant in there to produce. Let your soul be renewed in that. Um, take some time uh, to do what Keller would call avocational time. In other words, work that is enjoyable to you. But not something you get paid for. I love my job. Good. We all have bitterness issues against you. Okay. Kind of. Um, do some things that are productive that, that are not about, it's not about you producing into the world, it's about joy for your own soul. Uh, and this is, this is self-care, and don't overreact to the term self-care. Self-care is not self-indulgence, okay? Self-care is actually, it's actually giving to your own soul what you need. Do things that you enjoy. Um, plant different crops in the garden other than the ones that you normally do. Read, read fiction. Learn to play an instrument. Um, yeah. Third, uh, find time and space to be contemplative. Um, to actually sit and dwell. There's always an aspect of worship with, uh, with the day of Sabbath, but also let Scripture dwell in you. Find a passage to memorize. Memorize a psalm and let it just dwell in you. Sit and think. Do a guided uh, meditation through a prayer of examine. Um, sit and just be still. Be grateful. Let the peace of Christ dwell in you richly. Next, um, take time for beauty. Walk in nature. Listen to music. Look at art. God's design of the world on the seventh day, he had created beauty. And it was good. Um, I'm sure, uh, Tiffany, I'm sure you have some helpful stuff on Visio Divina. If you want a practice of how do I walk around and see things in my world that are beautiful. But make a practice to look for beauty. Um, then uh, find ways to incorporate these elements of rest into your everyday. The presence of Jesus is, is our peace. And so if there are various elements of this throughout the day, that you practice Shabbat every day of the week, even in the midst of your labor, do you have a routine where you, especially if you're working at home, do you have a routine where you leave work and come home? And you don't go back and check one more email or you don't look one more time, or you don't you turn the notifications off. Go outside and walk around the house and then come back in. Um, find days, elements during your meal times. I, I have three alarms set on my phone for prayers, and the last one I am miserable at it in, at night, but uh, a prayer in the morning and a prayer in the midday. Find times to bring Shabbat into your everyday life. Finally, Nurture relationships. Learn to be present with the people around you, to have good, long conversations that are not distracted by the bleeping phone. There's no other way to put that. It invades every part of our lives. Have a conversation. Be present with somebody where there is no technology, no notification, no blinks, no watching the score or muting during the commercials or anything like that. Just sit and have a heart, have conversation. And I'm saying this like, oh yeah, oh, that's hard. It's hard. Um, it's so lame that it's hard. But it's hard. Is it hard for anybody else or is that just me? Okay. I mean, even talk about memes if you have to. Find ways to laugh and engage and share stories and learn about other people and ask questions and have them learn about you. Um, and one of the best ways uh, to do this, I mean, you can play games together. One of the things that we did, we hit a good stride where we had, um, uh, where we, we would do Saturday nights. And for about a, for about a year, we nailed uh, this Shabbat meal. And... Um, 
And Saturday nights, it would take a lot of preparation throughout the day on Saturday, and it, it, that doesn't make sense, but it, it takes a lot of preparation to rest. And so throughout the day on Saturday, we would get the meal ready, we would make sure that we got everything else, uh, you know, in place. And then at 6 o'clock, we even had a little plastic cage for where all the phones would go, um, and that's what it was designed for. Uh, so there's consumerism at its finest, right? Buy this to help you from all these things, and it costs 35 cents. Um, and, uh, and at 6 o'clock, uh, I would text my pastor friends and just say, hey, I'm praying for you. I would, all right, I would be mostly done with my sermon. <sighs> um, I would get up on Sunday, but I'd be mostly done with my sermon. We'd, we'd lock phones up in the other room, and at 6 o'clock, we would sit down and enjoy this meal together. Um, and we would light the candles, and we would share communion, and we would bless each other, and we would have good conversation, and we would eat well. Uh, Travis and Cindy actually are going to walk through the opening of a Shabbat meal, which kicks off the day of rest. And so I'm going to have them come up, and we'll finish, and this will lead us into communion. Welcome to our Shabbat table. We are going to start off with reciting the Shema. Uh, the uh, Shema is said to be the most important prayer or recitation. It's, uh, our Shema has got four parts. Uh, the, the first is a proclamation. It's followed by a response to that proclamation, and then uh, a two-part greatest commandments finale. Uh, the Shema for devout, pious Jews is encouraged twice daily, once when they rise and once when they lie down. And so uh, our Shema will begin like this. You are encouraged to respond in English. Uh, and I will, uh, I will start it off in, uh, in Hebrew. Now this first part, um, uh, tradition, 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 <laughs> it's, I mean, it, it comes to my mind. You know, tradition has it that we cover our eyes. We cover our eyes as a sign of, of respect of, uh, of penitence, and it is, uh, it, it's something that as we declare these six words that we focus by closing our eyes or covering our eyes. We cover our eyes with our right hand because our left hand is sinister. And so let's uh, start it this way. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. The second part of the Shema is spoken quietly, almost at a whisper. Why do you ask? It is spoken quietly because it is not in Scripture, it's in the Talmud. It is, and there's all kinds of stories about how it became part of the Shema. And uh, some of, of the fun ones are that Jacob, on his deathbed, was afraid that his sons would start to follow after other gods. <laughs> and in response to that, his son said, Shema Israel." The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And so this is Jacob's response to that. As he breathes his last, he says these words. Baruch Shem Kavod Makuto Leolam Vayed. Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. Now the third and fourth parts of the Shema are Jesus' greatest commandments when he was asked, what's, what's the best? He said, these are the, 
These are the best two. This is the best. This is the one like it. Sums up the law and the prophets. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elochecha v'chol levalcha u'v'chol nefshacha u'v'chol meodecha. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Ve'ahavta l'reacha chamocha. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so as we wave in and say hello to Shabbat, it is customary that the uh, mother of the household, the one who has encouraged the children, encouraged the rest of the family to read the Torah on a daily basis, and the one who has made these particular preparations for all of these feasts, She's the one who has made the home a holy place. She is the one who lights the candles to welcome in Shabbat. Now, as soon as these candles are lit, Shabbat has begun. And so I'm going to sit down, <laughs> and, uh, and Cindy is going to light the candles, speak the blessings over it, and we will continue on. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us through faith in Jesus the Messiah, the light of the world, and in his name we kindle the Sabbath lights. The first candle represents creation. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who, bless, who brings forth light out of darkness. And the second candle is, represents redemption. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.